On this episode of the This Is Believe One podcast, we have a sports editor, we have a blogger at large, and most importantly, a lifelong Yankees fan, Austin Matricardi. How you doing, Austin? Doing well, James. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, thanks for coming on. Uh, just trying to discuss other teams besides Cleveland ones. You know, just seeing how other fan bases view their teams and where they currently stand. All right, sounds good. I'm ready to dive in on the Bombers. As I mentioned, you are a lifelong Yankees fan, and there's a couple things we discussed beforehand. Um, I think you know we'll start off fairly fairly easy with this one. And uh, Giancarlo Stanton, huge trade the Yankees made a couple years ago. Everyone thought lock his team into the World Series. They're good to go. This you know Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, nothing but home runs. How will you feel two years later? Well, it's tough to say because, I mean, Giancarlo is a great player, feared slugger, but at the same time, he's had some injury problems. I mean, you even look at the start of this year, he had you know two plate appearances, and then they shut him down in his spring training. So it's kind of been throughout his whole Yank tenure, I mean, on the old, he's great. Um, oddly, he's a bit of a three-true outcomes player, which a lot of the Yankees lineup has been over the last few years. A lot of strikeouts, a lot of home runs. So, I mean, when you think about Giancarlo Stanton and the Yankees, I'm going to say that, honestly, it's mostly how I feel is based on the package that went back to Miami, which makes me feel pretty decent about it honestly i mean you didn't lose a lot to bring him to new york um honestly the worst part about it is this huge contract if we're being honest but i'm not worried about how steinbrenner's pockets yeah i wouldn't be worried about their pockets either as you mentioned it was the package that went to miami that uh is more of a what you would have to consider and outside of john not john carl stanton outside of starling castro not really a whole lot went to miami and considering where the Yankees are now with their infield, he was more of an expendable person at the time. Yeah, I mean, you look at the package that went back, and of course, Starlin Castro, like you mentioned, he's not even in Miami anymore. He's with the Nationals. Uh, but Jorge Guzman was kind of the bigger prospect, and, and he was, I believe, the Yankees' number nine prospect at the time, uh, right-handed pitcher. He pitched in double-A last season, for uh, the Marlins, he could be looking at an MLB debut sometime in 2020, but that might just be because the Marlins aren't going to be terribly good, not because Guzman is particularly good. Um, his, you know, K-9, walk-9 numbers were a little iffy uh, last season, but he is graded as the Marlins' number 19 prospect by MLB.com. Uh, the other prospect in the deal was Jose Devers, infielder who's the cousin of Boston's uh, Raphael Devers. Uh, he isn't really a, a prospects, you know, like a top 30 prospects list kind of guy right now. But last year he did tear up uh, a low A ball. He played some rookie ball, made it to high A for the Marlins, and he hit 325 there. I think he played around 35 games. So it's not too bad of a little season there that he had last year. Uh, he, he could be a guy that breaks into those prospect lists moving forward. So all in all, I mean, it's not a lot that the Yankees gave up. I mean, they're decent players, but 
at this point, you know, a, a relief pitcher in, you know, double A isn't helping the Yankees win a World Series. Uh, an infielder who can't crack the Marlins top 30 prospects list isn't helping the Yankees win a World Series. So I'm not too concerned about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking from a production standpoint, I guess, from those guys, not really any concern. I guess the other thing you got to consider is the health of Stanton. He's someone who has lots of injuries in his history. Going back to Miami, and he's definitely has dealt with that in New York, and it's not going to be really easy when he's you know starting to get known as someone who's injury prone or someone who's brittle or someone just simply can't stay healthy. And you got to think with someone who has that big of a contract who just can't stay healthy. I mean, it's kind of concerning, kind of frustrating. And luckily for the Yankees, outfield is a spot where they kind of have some organizational depth. Uh, which kind of softens the blow a little bit. Uh, you know, Aaron Hicks had Tommy John, but he's getting ready to come back. So, you know, if, if Giancarlo gets hurt, you know, let's say whenever this 2020 season actually starts, I, I mean, you could shuffle some guys around. Um, obviously, him being a DH most of the time, you can kind of shuffle guys through that hole. It's it's not necessarily like, you know, it's uh, Gary Sanchez getting hurt where, you know, catcher is kind of an iffier spot. But you obviously want Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup every day. And, uh, you know, you'd love to have him in there, whether he's playing, you know, left field for a day or whether he's manning that DH spot. But if he does get hurt, I mean, like we saw last year uh, with all of the injuries happening at the same time early in the year, the Yankees have some depth. They can shift some guys around. So it's not ideal for Stanton to be hurt as often as he is, but it's not necessarily, you know, the, the, the last nail in the coffin for the Yankees. You mentioned something there, but they had so many injuries last year and they just sort of found guys to plug and play. You know, DJ LeMahieu had one hell of a season last year. Uh, former Indians prospect Giovanni Urshela learned how to swing a bat for the first time in his career something that is highly credited to the Yankees and, uh, you know, their hitting coaches because uh, one of the issues that uh, I heard reported was that he wasn't necessarily following through all the way in a swing. And the Yankees were like, hey, follow through and you'll make better contact. You'll you'll be able to hit. And that's basically what happened. You know, Cleveland couldn't fix him. Toronto couldn't fix him. He goes to the Yankees. He can hit. And it just adds to the depth that the, the Yankees have on the infield. So it seems like they're they're able to kind of manage their way through their injuries and just kind of find players out of nowhere. Uh, the outfield is definitely an interesting uh, group. You know, you mentioned Aaron Hicks, someone who has some injuries. Um, there's the another former Indian, Clint Frazier. Clint Frazier seems to be sort of, uh, I'll call him an enigma, can hit, but not necessarily the best defender. So you got to find a place for him. It just seems like you have a lot of guys that are outfield types, but could also might be better off of that DH role. Yeah, it's a really interesting group. And, you know, I think that specifically a guy like Clint Frazier has been one of the more uh, interesting topics for the Yankees in the last few years because he's obviously a talented player. Uh, He's just, you know, young at certain points. He's immature. But, uh, you know, you really just want to see a kid like that get a chance. And if he was with, you know, any number of other organizations, he would have gotten his chance in the MLB, a, a, a lengthy run by now. But, you know, just because of, you know, the the guys that the Yankees have ahead of him, Brett Gardner, Aaron Hicks, you know, 
Aaron Judge. Uh, it's kind of hard for him to to crack into the starting lineup and, you know, get a run that's longer than, you know, say a few weeks while a guy recovers from an injury or, you know, whatever it may be. So, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the the depth that the Yankees have there, especially with guys who should be, you know, playing in the MLB with some kind of consistency. But it's obviously a, a kind of – it's a good problem to have that, you know, you're sending a guy like Clint Frazier to play in Scranton when he probably shouldn't be. Yeah, I would definitely rather have the Yankees outfield situation than the Indians one. Um, <laughs> just for what it's worth. Uh, any concerns with you defensive-wise for Clint Frazier? Uh, he seems to not be great in that area. He he's Every once in a while, he'll make it a nice play, and you'll be, okay, maybe there's something there. But um, definitely, he came to New York as a center fielder. Uh, at least, you know, in the headlines or, you know, in the, the, you know, the prospect books. And that pretty quickly shifted to, yeah, this guy's hopefully going to play left field. Um, and that kind of seems like where he's going to end up. Uh, the, the perception of him as a defender kind of deteriorated somewhat quickly. Um, I think it's gotten to the point where maybe he's a little underrated as a defender, just because the public perception has dropped as much as it has, but he's still not a guy that I would send out to center and smile about it. He's definitely a left fielder. Um, I, I think that he could be an average left fielder as he kind of gets his, you know, his feet under him as an MLB player. Yeah. It seems like he might be suffering uh, from a similar uh, reputation that Kyle Schwarber did in Chicago with the Cubs. Yeah. Where everyone just pretty much yeah. hammered him for, for being such an awful defender. And even though he's improved, he still has the hilarious play mm -hmm. from time to time where, you know, let's say just completely misplay a ball. Yeah. Schwarber had that, you know, kind of off season where he dropped all of the weight and he came back and he was, you know, looking spelt and he finally started, you know, he was able to move around in the outfield well. And, you know, I, I think that maybe the, the public perception has kind of come up a little bit on Schwarber as a left fielder, but obviously he will still have the, uh, the boneheaded play from time to time. He is a guy that played catcher for, you know, basically his entire life until he became a Chicago Cubs. So it's been interesting to kind of watch his progression as well. Yeah, hopefully Clint Frazier can turn around uh, or at least improve upon his uh, defensive skills so he doesn't end up being the not top 10 highlight on ESPN every Friday with a, a misplayed ball or let's say, you know, maybe falling over or something, you know, because sometimes that happens. While it's hilarious, it can be frustrating to watch. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, that is, I mean, if he even ends up in New York after, you know, a few months from now, hopefully he'll uh, be able to get a chance in the Bronx at some point. Yeah, uh, there's definitely uh, an opportunity for him, you know, d definitely with, uh, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Hicks possibly uh, being on the injured list whenever uh, the season returns, even though it seems like they are progressing where they could end up contributing to a shortened mm -hmm. version of this season. But another player in that Yankees outfield who is someone of interest, someone of note, is Aaron Judge. And, you know, just like a couple of years ago, Aaron Judge was, he was the highlight player of baseball. He was, you know, he was the face of baseball. He was the judges chambers in Yankee Stadium. But it hasn't been necessarily up to that level since then. Is it possible that 
we've already seen the best season of his career, and that was his rookie campaign. It's kind of unfortunate to think so, but I mean, it's possible. Um, obviously, I, I mean, he's a bit of an older kind of guy. I mean, he didn't debut in MLB at, you know, 22, 23, like, you know, some other kind of guys who have just jumped on the scene. He was 25 when he was a, he was a 25-year-old rookie. Uh, I mean, he's 27. He's going to be 28 when this season kind of, you know, kicks off. So he should be in his kind of prime producing years. Y- you look at, you know, just for the sake of boiling everything down into one number, you, you look at his war. He was just under eight as a rookie. And, and you know, 2018, he was at 5.9. 2019, 5.5. So he was, he's still been a good player. It's just kind of gotten, he, he's kind of, tailed off a little bit he's still an all-star caliber outfielder he's just not quite where he was as a rookie so you know it's easy to think that you know everybody kind of saw him that rookie year he had a great year he kind of you know he was able to stay healthy and play you know a lot of games people kind of figured him out a little bit as the season went on and you know kind of career's gone on he's tailed off a little bit because of it. it's an easy thing to say uh i i hope that we haven't seen the best of aaron judge but it's certainly possible i mean and, and another uh common theme with with judge uh that stanton also shares is that judge necessarily hasn't been healthy uh past couple years either and you know with a couple guys that are are that big getting healthy and staying right with your swing is just a little bit more difficult and so any little bump or any little bruise can just, it can throw his entire swing off. And I think we've seen that a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at his games played 155 as a rookie, 112 the next year, 102 the year after. And, you know, it's just, he's one of those guys where, you know, it's a foot here. It's, you know, a shoulder there. It's an elbow here. And, you know, it might, he might be missing, you know, a few days here, a few days there. Uh, he's kind of, you know, the one that you're always watching on the injured list. This year, you know, during spring training, they found a stress fracture in his rib, and nobody really has an idea when he's going to be ready to play. Uh, Aaron Boone said the other day that he's going to undergo another CT scan in a few weeks, which doesn't really feel like a positive sign uh, because if he was, you know, if his rib was healed, he wouldn't need another scan necessarily but um it doesn't seem like there's a definitive timetable for him at least one that the yankees are confident enough in to have shared with the public so that's not a great sign when and you know your you know your billboard player is we haven't even started the season yet and he's already you know got a got a ding yeah it's not necessarily uh all that encouraging uh for Yankees fans or, you know, players on the Yankees being like, geez, are we really going to deal with uh, a lifelong, or not a lifelong, but a season-long injury uh, watch with Aaron Judge? Because that, that broken rib thing came out of nowhere. Uh, I did not expect to hear that. And it was just, you know, it came from last season and didn't get even identified till now. It was very strange. Yeah, yeah no, it's really weird. It just came out of nowhere. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, he's got an injured rib. And then all of a sudden, it's, oh, well, he, he might have had this injured rib since last year's playoffs. And, you know, it's just like, I, I don't 
nobody knows what's going on really. Um, and it's just a really weird kind of situation. It's not your, your standard injury situation. Definitely not standard. And let me, let me, uh, let me turn back the clock for a second here. A couple of years ago, uh, he run the rookie of the year, uh, runner up for the MVP. Uh, I was a very much a supporter of at the time of Jose Altuve winning the MVP, uh, as you probably can remember. Uh, knowing what we know now, no, no, no. Aaron Judge deserved that MVP. Yeah. Knowing what we know now, just just for the record, I would like to to clear that up now and say that uh, Aaron Judge should have had that MVP. Yeah, I actually at the time I wrote you know, the case for Aaron Judge as MVP. And uh, after all this, I'm feeling very vindicated. Uh, so it's been been great for me. Uh, I mean, you know, nothing of substance actually changed. Uh, there's no World Series for the Yankees. There's no actual MVP for Aaron Judge. But I feel just a smidge better. Smidge better about that MVP race now. Yeah, uh, knowing that it could be fairly uh, or very illegitimate uh, MVP for Jose Altuve because no one really knows just to what extent that they did um, cheat the system and it's just it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny looking back uh, just how that all unfolded where you, you think that you know any other year with Jose Altuve is not there judges the MVP candidate he's the, he's the winner slam dunk no question but Altuve and whatever advantages he had as being a member of the Houston Astros pretty much sealed the deal for him to win it. Yep. And, you know, they can, you know, Carlos Correa can swear until he's blue in the face that Jose Altuve had nothing to do with it because, you know, they want to try to salvage Jose Altuve as the, the nice guy that everybody likes, but I'm not buying it. Uh, <laughs> I refuse to buy it. I am going to uh, remain a little skeptical of basically all of their careers. Uh, yeah. I am very much, uh, putting in question uh, the legitimacy of some of those guys um, and what they're doing, just because you don't necessarily know. I mean, we all saw the videos from uh, from John Boy and, you know, him putting up, you know, marking all the bangs and, you know, he was even highlighting them. And let's be honest, a couple of years ago when the Indians faced the Astros and the Astros sat on every single one of Kluber's, you know, devastating sliders, it makes a hell of a lot more sense now than it did then. Yeah, uh, same thing with Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I mean, you, you look at the numbers, like the, the splits of how many curveballs Kershaw threw in his World Series start, and you see how many that they just sat on instead of, you know, swinging and missing. You know, it, it's one of the best curveballs we've ever seen. Uh, it seems a little fishy that, you know, there might have been like two or three swings and misses in an entire outing on that curveball. So, uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm a little uh, a little skeptical of basically everything Astros at this point. Now I, I'm in a I'm in a particular interesting situation because as a former Indians player, it's now a member of the Houston Astros, and that'd be Michael Brantley. And lots of Indians fans mm-hmm. were so mad at Michael Brantley uh, at leaving. I preferred if he would have stayed in Cleveland, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. But some people wanted to question his ability or was performances past season. Like, listen. Michael Brantley did Michael Brantley things. Um, it's not like his his performance really changed all that much. There wasn't necessarily a giant uptick in production. He didn't suddenly double his home run total or increase his batting average by 40 points. 
Brantley was Brantley, and that's what he was. And it's just an interesting thing. I don't know if he took advantage of any of the things that they were using. I don't know if he didn't, but it seems like Michael Brantley was relatively steady Michael Brantley. Yeah, it's not like Michael Brantley went to Houston and all of a sudden, you, you know, he became a MVP. Like one of those pitchers who shows up in Cleveland and all of a sudden the spin rate on his curveball goes through the roof. Uh, so, you know, I, I, he's one of the ones where I, I don't think that I'm going to have any problem with Michael Brantley going forward because Michael Brantley wasn't making all-star games or, you know, anything like that. Yeah, I mean he's he's pretty he's been pretty steady throughout his career for the most point for the most part. Yeah. Uh, the la- uh, the next thing I have here uh, is another another Yankees player with injuries. Uh, sad to bring up nothing but injuries for the Yankees here, but I think it's a it's a very important theme for them, and you know we'll touch on uh, a little bit what happened with last season, possibly this season, but Miguel Andujar. Um. He seems like he might be kind of in a weird spot. Because I don't know where they're going to camp going forward. Yeah, no, he is a very kind of, he's not really tied to one spot or one thing. It's very weird because, like you mentioned, he's had injury troubles last year. He gets hurt, and, you know, he was, you know, the present and the future at third base for the Yankees. And then all of a sudden Gio Urshela decides that he's going to be a really good ball player. Um, So, you know, it's kind of called some things into question, you know, who's going to be manning the hot corner. Is it going to be Urshela? Is it going to be Andujar? You know, um, could they maybe try Andujar at, you know, first, could they try him in left? Uh, And, you know, I would certainly try those things uh, because, I'm a big believer in positional flexibility. So, I, I mean, he's not exactly a great fielder at third, um, not even necessarily good. But, I mean, if you try him in left and he's fine there, maybe that's his spot. Um, you try him at first, maybe that's his spot. Um, but he's kind of in a weird place where you don't know what the deal is with him. I mean, he's even a guy that you could put in a trade package. I mean, he could be the headliner in a trade for somebody who's more established, somebody who's got, you know, more of a a regular spot that, you know, if the Yankees really want to try to go all in and bring in another big name, not that, you know, they need another big name, but they they could use one if they wanted to. Maybe Andujar is the guy who kind of leads the way on that as a pro, you know, an established pro who can do things for, you know, a contending team even. Yeah, the the concern for for Andujar really is his throwing. I mean, he wasn't necessarily great at third defensively, but now he had you know he had the surgery, and it's going to be hard for him to get back to be able to make that throw from third to first. And so it, it seems like if he's going to be an infielder, it might be first base, or he could be a very very young DH, and that's kind of scary if you think about it. Uh, unless you trade him to a team where they need a first baseman, and they can just kind of plug him at first, and hopefully he can adapt but it really doesn't seem like there's a home for him yeah, in New York. I, yeah, uh, I mean, he's kind of fallen into Clint Frazier world where, you know, <laughs> he should be playing for somebody somewhere. Uh, maybe it's not the Yankees. Uh, and, and honestly, I could see the two of them being hitched together and shipped to God knows where to 
try to get, you know, an impact player back to New York. Uh, that seems like a very real possibility. But, I mean, it's not that long ago that Andujar was a rookie of the year candidate. I mean, in his only full season in the bigs, he hit almost 300 with 27 home runs. It's he He's a player who has promise. He's just a player who's fallen victim to the fact that he's a Yankee and – the Yankees have a lot of really talented players and a lot of talented players who are a bit more stable in, you know, their health, a bit more stable in their production and kind of their projection moving forward. Yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know. I mean, you have to think of uh, some of the other teams that might be looking to cut salary. Um, Buster only said that some teams are already preparing to cut salary for 2021. So if the Yankees are going to be aggressive, there's probably a decent chance they could ship those two guys who don't cost a lot of money to try and acquire someone who's going to be expensive that the Yankees can absorb that contract. And it seems like that would be probably a smart way to go. Uh, my only concern is that team might be the Indians. Uh, my or you know, that might be the Pirates, possibly. Uh, that's another team that just seems like they're constantly cutting salary, payroll, everything. Uh, not that Frazier and Andrew are bad players, but I just don't want to see, you know, the Indians just dump salary for the sake of dumping salary. I was, I was thinking before this, you know, we're talking Yankees, Indians. I was thinking, you know, maybe if, you know, a certain organization has – a very expensive shortstop that, you know, they might be rumored to be shopping around. Got a little pile of, you know, pile of cash. We got, you know, some, we got Dan Duhar, we got Frazier, uh, maybe toss in uh, basically whatever else you want. Uh, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't mind seeing, you know, certain shortstop that may have played in Cleveland recently playing in New York. I mean, it would cost a lot prospect-wise and talent-wise. I mean, Andrew Hart and Frazier are definitely yeah, right. are definitely good yeah. uh, are guys that would be on, I think, Cleveland's radar because they're at that spot where they have at the MLB level. They don't cost a lot of money. Uh, it would just be they would need mm-hmm. throw some more on top of that. You know what I mean? And I don't I don't know necessarily if the Yankees yeah. are willing to yeah. do yeah. that. Throw, that throw some more. Yeah, throw some more, and when you think you've had enough, throw just a little bit more on top of that. Then you know maybe that's enough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to cost a lot, and and for when it does happen, because I I feel it's inevitable. I feel Lindor's departure is imminent. Uh, it feels like once they unfreeze the rosters, um, he'll be gone within a week. Um, it seems like just because he's he's cut off the contract extension discussions even though that's not necessarily news but it's just like he's not even willing to negotiate it's there's a certain point you reach for a team like Cleveland who has to be certainly risk averse in the way they operate and if they're going to avoid an all out tank it's it's sad to say but trading Francisco Lindor is the thing to do yeah i mean if you're at the point where you're either going to lose Francisco Lindor for nothing or you're going to get a whole holy mountain of prospects and, you know, players and, and whatever you want, basically. I mean, door number two isn't the one you want to open, but it's the one you probably should if you're an organization in a smaller market. Yeah, it, it seems like they could have had a chance if they really wanted to, let's say, go all in this year and maybe go all in for the duration of Lindor's contract to try and win while he's still here. 
But this this stoppage of baseball, when baseball returns, there not being any fans, there not being any revenue for a team like Cleveland who's so dependent on in-game revenue, it's just, it's, they're essentially, for lack of a better word, they're screwed. They are so screwed. And that's just where they're at right now. And I'm, I'm sure you've come across the occasional tweet from my timeline about talking about attendance with the Indians. It's a real issue that Indians fans just refuse to acknowledge. I mean, it's different for a team like New York. It's different for teams in Chicago. It's different for teams in L.A. where they have large markets. They don't have shit television deals like the Indians do. Guys will go to games because those are iconic franchises. Those are brands. It doesn't work like that for the Indians. I mean, they've been in... They haven't been higher than ninth in the American League attendance since 2002, I think. Even during the World Series run. And attendance matters, and people don't understand. Yeah, I mean, it's basically small market, the movie. Uh, We've seen it before, roll credits. Uh, (laughs) It really sucks. And, you know, I mean, coming from a Yankees fan, that kind of, you know, might sound a certain way. But, I mean... If you flip over to basketball, I'm an Oklahoma City fan, so I, I kind of I get it because you know that's You've unfortunately lived that out the too. way that yeah yeah I've absolutely lived out that kind of situation. It's not great and it doesn't feel great, but eventually uh, you find other reasons to be hopeful, or you just watch other sports. <laughs> or if you're the petty type, you just actively root for that person to lose. Um... <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure, you know, every other team except for one in the Bay Area was doing. Um, it's just, it, you know the writing's on the wall when it comes to the Indians. Uh, we, we literally watched the Royals live out exactly what the Indians are trying to avoid. And yeah. the only difference is that the Royals won the World Series once. Which is why they're able to kind of float through that a little bit easier. Uh, yeah. Uh, on a brighter side, uh, your team signed Garrett Cole. Oh, oh yeah, that we like that. It's very good, <laughs> and, very nice. And, and um, your team should be a World Series favorite. Oh yeah, that's um, that contract isn't going to feel great probably about six years from now, but I, I don't care. Let's let's go get a ring. Um, if if Garrett Cole is wearing you know one, two, maybe three World Series rings on his hand by the time that he's old and washed up and still making forty five million dollars, I don't care. That, that's future Yankee problems. That's not current Yankee problems. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's that's something for you know the Yankees to worry about twenty twenty five, twenty six, or whatever. Well, I don't care about it now. Yeah, I mean, Garrett Cole really makes that rotation just, it elevates it to a whole other level. They were able to kind of get by with some guys who were kind of crafty, got some guys don't necessarily have overpowering stuff, but just made it work. Um, most notably, Masahiro Tanaka, and a little bit James Paxton. Um, they just kind of, yeah. they put it together, made their way through it. Garrett Cole just gives you that bona fide ace where it's like, you can pretty much count on this guy to go seven innings, allow two runs or less and a couple of hits and set you up for a win. Yeah. I'm a big James Paxton guy too. I, I really believe in him as, you know, the number two, you know, number three, number four, if James Paxton ends up being your number four, you know, you're, you're dancing around. Uh, I mean, he did have 
uh, that injury during spring training, but um, well, no, not during before spring training. He he should be back by mid-May. Uh, Boone said the other day. So I, I mean, it kind of you know when the news came out that he was hurt, you kind of looked at the Yankees' rotation and it kind of bumped it back down a peg. You know, with you know all the excitement with Cole and Tanaka and Severino and Paxton, you know. You lose packs and you kind of go, okay, I'm not sure exactly what this is going to look like as far as depth goes, but maybe, you know, this whole delaying of the season didn't necessarily hurt the Yankees as much as it did a lot of other teams because maybe by the time things get started back up, Paxton's ready to go, everybody's kind of healthy, and we can try this again. Yeah, this delay is definitely going to help the Yankees. Um, so they don't have to embark on the endeavor that they went through last year of you know, going through all of the injuries. Now they're getting all the injuries out of the way before they even play a game, so that way they'll be healthy. And as you said, Severino should be back. And for all of his off-field issues, uh, by the time the season is underway and through most of it, uh, Domingo Herman should be back at some capacity. And... <laughs> Uh, he's not the greatest person, but no, he's at no least he's a, not. He, he was at least a productive pitcher. If you're looking from at that point, um, yeah. I, I don't know your personal feelings about him. I'm not going to ask you to say your personal feelings about him, but uh, I don't. If they were in a different, completely different situation, they could easily just say "see ya" to this dude, and you, you know, most people would not care. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, I got a similar situation with my football team, and I've been actively campaigning for them to get rid of that player for uh, over a year now, and he's still here. So, <clears throat> hasn't really worked. But yeah, that Yankees rotation could be good. Uh, definitely when guys get healthy, when guys are able to start getting things, you know, in the swing of things again. It's just, when? When is it going to happen? We don't know. Um, and part of the thing is that we got to think about is making sure that they're not toning things down too much or ramping it up too quickly. I mean, cause that can cause an injury just as easily as just playing a regular game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of, we're in a weird spot where guys aren't entirely sure what to do. You know, I was, um, I was listening to a podcast where, you know, Trevor Bauer was on with uh, Jeff Passman, I think. And he was talking about, like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Because usually, you know, when you're in baseball, you know you can pencil in, okay, spring training starts on this day. I report this day. Uh, opening day is this day. And I can kind of schedule my workouts. I can, you know, I can build up my, my arm. I can build up my pitch count, blah, 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 blah. And now guys are kind of stuck in this no man's land where it's like, I don't know at what stage of readiness I should be for a season because I don't know when the season starts. It's a really unique situation that can kind of be dangerous for guys if they don't handle their, their workouts, you know, their preparation and whatnot in a, in the correct way. And, it's impossible to say what the correct way is. So guys just kind of have to do what they think is best and hope that it works, which isn't exactly something you want to be doing with guys that are making, you know, tens of millions of dollars. 
Yeah, not not the greatest thing, but it's it's about just kind of figuring out where to go. And with someone like Trevor Bauer, who is a physical specimen and an interesting person, doesn't know how to handle getting ready for the MLB season. And he's usually someone who's good to go. He's someone who could pitch on zero days rest. He's said it before. If he doesn't know where to go, that's kind of... Uh, Scary, considering you normally assume he's good to go whenever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you hear some of these guys talk, too. And I mean, uh, Clayton Kershaw is another one where he was just like, I'm doing my best, question mark. And, and, you know, these are guys who are usually, you know, ready to go. You know, there's no question about, you know, what these guys have done, how well they've prepared you know that, you know, they've done well, you know that they're ready to go and to kind of be in this situation where even those guys are like uh, audio medium, but I just shrugged. Um, it's tough. <laughs> it's interesting to see how it's all going to unfold. Yeah, definitely. Don't really know how it's going to, it's going to work for a lot of people. Uh, is there any specific teams you're like looking at besides, you know, the Yankees that are interesting to you this upcoming season? Um, you know, ones that maybe will surprise some people or some that might disappoint a little bit. I'm kind of keeping an eye on, uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Um, I'm kind of in the area here in Southern Indiana where, you know, there's a lot of Reds fans, but there's some Cubs fans, but there's some Cardinals fans, but I I've got a lot of friends who like the Reds. Um, Cincinnati isn't too terribly far away and it's kind of cool to see a team that, you know, isn't necessarily known for spending money going out and getting a guy like Nick Castellanos, you know, they kind of put together an interesting little club you know, they, they could compete maybe for a wild card for, you know, they could be interesting for the first time in a handful of years. So I'm kind of looking at them, and I, I kind of like what they've got going on. I like a handful of players that they have. So I'm kind of excited to see what they can do this year. Uh, about an American League team, maybe? Um, In the AL, uh, they're in the division, but I, I always like the Rays. Um, I just think that they're a really cool example of what you can do as a small market team. Uh, I mean, they, they lose guys year in and year out, but somehow they always still manage to stay at least somewhat competitive, if not, you know, being a playoff team. I, I think that they've got a really cool group of guys this year. Um, I, I really like what they've built, how they've kind of restocked. Uh, uh, Brendan McKay is a guy who I really love. I don't know exactly how he's going to fit in with what they've got this year. But um, seeing them kind of experiment with the, the two-way player, which is something that I'm an advocate for. I, I love seeing two-way players make it to the level that, you know, a, a Shohei Otani is at. That, I mean, even a Brendan McKay is at because, I mean, he's still a triple-A slash, you know, uh, MLB kind of guy. And he might not be the purest two-way player, but to, to see him kind of at least having – a little success is kind of a success for two-way guys moving forward. They also have Austin Meadows, who's a fun player. You know, you've got Jose Martinez, Kevin Kiermaier, Yoshitomo Tsutsugo, who came over from Japan. So I, they're in the division, and that probably means that I'm not supposed to like them. But 
they've just got a really fun group of guys. Uh, their uniforms are cool. They're probably going to make the playoffs. So, you know, I, I like the Rays in the American League. It's just kind of one of those teams, like, how are you going to hate the Tampa Bay Rays? It's just, it, it doesn't yeah. really seem natural to actually hate that team. I mean, because, they, like you said, they don't go out and spend money. They have to get creative in the way that they do things. Uh, speaking of creative moves, that trade, Chris Archer for Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now, that looks like shit for the P- Pittsburgh Pirates. That yeah. was just a bad move. Yeah, yeah no, I, I when you saw that trade, it was like, oh, okay, Chris Archer's kind of good. But then, like, immediately after, after everybody started hitting the field, you're like, oh, yikes. And, you know, I, it's funny because Glasnow and, and Meadows have been playing in Indianapolis for the last few years. So I've seen a lot of them. So I, I like them as players genuinely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to see them kind of go down there to a team that I'm kind of predisposed to like, it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, and, you know, uh, so, you know, just having those guys down there and having just a, a really cool group of dudes, it, it's pretty nice. Uh, I, I like them a lot. It starting to get to that point where if the Tampa Bay Rays are willing to accept the trade that you're offering, you better re- reevaluate what you're sending over there because it doesn't really seem like it's really worked out for anyone else on the other end of that deal. Uh, you know, getting Meadows and getting rid of Chris Archer, who's been average since he's been in Pittsburgh, but just one of uh, one of the many trades that the Tampa Bay Rays have made uh, recently. Also, acquiring basically like the San Diego Padres outfield. That was interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's fun with the Rays, too, because, uh, I mean, another thing that you can do with the franchise is you can name almost any player ever, and it's impossible to say whether or not they played for the Tampa Bay Rays at one point. Like, <laughs> my, my favorite one to play, you know, it's a game that I'll play with some friends. We'll just name a player, and you have to – you have to decide whether or not they played for the Rays. Manny Ramirez is a fun one because Manny Ramirez was a Tampa Bay Ray at one point. Was it like for 12 games or something? Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic thing to remember, but basically it's funny because the whole league has at one point played for the Rays and also every single Rays player from between like 2004 and 2008 or 2009 they were all Rocco Baldelli. The, the entire 25-man <laughs> roster was Rocco Baldelli. So it is, it's, there's some fun things you can do with the Rays. They're kind of a really quirky franchise. It, it, they're, they're fun. Yeah, and, uh, I like to play a game sometimes. It's connect the dots between the Lions, Browns, and Raiders because it seemed like those three teams just exchange players <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it's yeah, pretty consistent. Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> it's pretty consistent with those three guys, with those three teams. You could always just follow the the train. I'm like, oh, okay, we're just going in a circle here. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, fun, fun to be able to do those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, so it's been great having you on today. Um, always fun to talk baseball. <laughs> always fun always. to talk baseball. Always fun to talk about you know a team like the Yankees who can be. The evil empire, but they can also have a lot of uh, storied history behind them. And just like every other franchise, they have their own set of issues that I think a lot of times people don't necessarily take into account. Yeah, uh, I mean, this version of the evil empire is uh, its a pretty fun one. It's a troubled one, but I, I mean, you, you look at a guy like, you, you know, you look at, uh, let's say, it's not as easy to hate this group, I think it, 
they're kind of fun because they came up together as kids. And, you know, you look at Aaron Judge and he's just a really nice guy. It's not like, you know, Derek Jeter and, you know, Andy Pettit, where they're just kind of like white collar, you know, clean cut dudes. I mean, I know that I personally loved Didi Gregorius before he uh, departed this past off season. He was kind of one of those fun guys who, you know, just went out and played the game and had fun and used 800 emojis on Twitter every night. So uh, they're, they're kind of, you know, obviously it's easy to hate the Yankees. Everybody hates the Yankees. But if, if you kind of, you know, peel that back and if these guys were all wearing Mets uniforms, a, a handful of them would be beloved, beloved players. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing to look at, kind of an interesting thing to watch. Well, oh, geez, they played for the Mets. None of them would be there because they cost too much money. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> they cost too much money. I mean, uh, you want to make an equal comparison, uh, Cespedes and Stanton. Uh, those guys cost a ton of money and barely see the field. <laughs> Oof. Uh, but for for what you said, I mean this this version of the of the Evil Empire Yankees is a little bit different. They didn't go out and just you know buy everyone. They they did make trades. They did you know develop some of their players. So it's not like they went out and signed Alex Rodriguez. I mean Garrett Cole, yeah, a lot of money, but it's not like they're entire roster is just filled with those type of guys they're they're guys they've acquired through other means yeah it's been interesting to kind of watch uh brian cashman go about his work because you know even through the lean years he was able to you know get rosters that weren't completely terrible they were at least good enough for girardi to get them to you know 85 wins So, you know, and then watching them slowly build, you know, through the draft, through making trades for guys like Aaron Hicks, who before he came to New York, he was kind of a, a, you know, a quadruple A prospect, Mm -hmm. you know, wasn't really sure what Aaron Hicks was going to be. You knew that he used to be a top prospect, but he wasn't really much of anything when the Yankees got him. He was just kind of, you know, a, a, a tweener. And to see him kind of take off and to, and to see, you know, the trades that they made for, you know, Glaber Torres, for, you know, for Clint Frazier, you know, it's been interesting to see him go about his work and kind of build this thing up in a new manner. It's been really fun to watch. And, you know, it, it does make it seem like a lot more of a, a genuine kind of team, a genuine kind of organization than in years past when, you know, you just go out and you, you sign Reggie Jackson or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, they're not just opening up the checkbook to go sign everyone. Uh, you know, a lot of people I know were, were clamoring for Manny Machado, Bryce Harper. Uh, it yeah. seems like it seems like they're uh, they're better off now compared to if they you know would have made those particular moves. That means no Garrett Cole. Uh, yeah. So yeah, even so. At, even at the time, I remember you know talking to people and saying there's no reason to spend that amount of money on an outfielder or a you know shortstop third baseman because the Yankees already have outfielders and a shortstop and third baseman. There's save the money, go get a pitcher. I'm glad that that's what they did because I, I think it's turned out for the better that way. Yeah, definitely think they're in more solid standing now. Uh, definitely have more depth now in this by going this way instead of adding 
too depth unnecessarily, what they did is they addressed some areas of need. That's the best way to go about it. Because they have plenty of depth in the infield. They have plenty of depth in the outfield. They just need pitching. Yeah, you can't you can't build the whole you can't build the whole ship out of outfielders. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, I, I try to do that in MLB the show sometimes, uh, especially with the <laughs> Indians uh, getting creative with some players, but uh, make them make them play first base and you know left field sometimes, but it doesn't always work. Yeah, it uh, you can get creative here and there, but. Uh... Eventually, traditional kind of values, they'll they'll come through, and uh, you, you need to build the team a certain way.